Hey there. Welcome to What Happens Next with Ben and Philip. I'm Ben. And I'm Philip. Mate, it's been a big day. How was your day between 4 and 5 p.m.? Nearing the end of the day. The end is in sight. The sun is setting. Did you end up or did you end down? Look, Benny, I'm a pretty up person, as you know, and nothing much gets me down, at least not for too long. Things frustrate me. Things sort of antagonize me, as I've discussed with you before on this podcast. But nearing the end of a day, very productive, getting a few things done. And I think I just got one too many management speak style emails today between sort of four and five that really kicked me off. How do you define management speak? Look, I don't work in an environment where people talk like that, that they're from uh, Anthony Robbins or some sort of Accenture consulting seminar. People aren't talking about synergies and brand equity or anything like that too often around me. But every now and then I get an email where someone is confirms at the end of the email that they'll reach out to someone else in the business to discuss something. And that just uh, rubs me up the wrong way. Do you know what I mean? Does it rub you the wrong way like someone just air sucking to the microphone with deep breaths and deep breaths out? Does someone call you on the phone at work and go, oh, yeah, I need some advice? (laughs) My lung capacity is just not what it used to be, that's all. (laughs) But back to the topic at hand, which is corporate speak. I know what you're talking about, so let me guess. Without digging into the annals of Google, you're talking about corporate speak like, if I'm correct in thinking, reach out. I'll give you my top four. Okay, top four. Corporate speak offences. Rather than saying- Are these jailable? These are the worst? I'd say these are mandatory minimums. We're talking five years non-parole, mandatory minimum. Right. It's a medium vernacular offence. Yeah. It's not 25 to life, but it's a trafficable commercial quantity, five-year minimum we're talking. It's a cliche battery and assault, maybe manslaughter, not quite first-degree murder. Three strikes, you're out. You are going to jail, probably not going to get bail while you wait for your appeal. Walk me through it, Judge Chalk. So, in an email, you could say to us, that other person in the business about that, and I'll um, speak to them about it. Or you could say, I'm going to reach out. So, reach out you dislike, but what's acceptable to you? Reaching out is a physical description of an arm gesture. Unless this person is sitting next to you in the cubicle on on the open plan office, they're reaching out. It's probably not going to work if someone's in a different office or on a different floor. So why wouldn't you just speak to them, contact them by phone or- So you're talking as a literalist, that they're using a description of physical activity to describe verbal or written behavior. And you're saying, why don't you just use verbal or written verbs to describe that behavior, such as I will speak to that person or I will email that person rather than choosing the more emotive physical verb of reach out. Yeah. Look, this is probably the less punishable of the phrase I have in mind. Let's go to the uh, Shawshank Redemption of offences for corporate speak. I would say that it's probably up there with me. Okay, so touching base, again, it's a emotive verb for physical activity. You are touching base, well, like no, you're doing it, something it's physical. It's more than that. It's describing the action of a baseball player rounding the bases, putting his foot on a little mat on the ground. That is what it actually is, is it not? Is that the origins of the expression touching base? I had no idea. I thought it related to something relating to NASA rockets like launch pads. Maybe, maybe. I think you're right. As you describe it to me now, for the first time in my life in my 40s, once you describe touching base, like you're rounding the diamond and you're just touching as quickly, gently the base to get to the next base, that makes 
total sense. But then by that definition, touching base is just saying, I'm dropping in, I'm dropping out yep. to briefly confirm a detail. I'm coming into first plate. I'm going to touch base with you at first base to see if you're across that detail of what we're talking about. And then move on. And if you are, I'll keep rounding the bases to second base until we get home. Not that that's, no, that's a different, that's a different one. So what's the verbal offence? It's just these sort of three or four little sayings that have permeated the way people speak in everyday language. They don't think twice about it. They don't think about what they're saying. They don't think about what it means or where it's come from. It's just this thing that they say and it doesn't actually mean anything. It could just mean people take it to mean, as we were just discussing, we assume that people mean, I'm just going to touch base with you. I'm just calling a touch base on that letter I sent you, that proposed draft thing that we sent. Oh, yeah. Well, are you just touching base with me or are you just contacting me about it? Like, why do we have to touch base? Do you know what I mean? So is your frustration with the common usage by multiple people of those phrases or that people can't be courageous enough to use more specific descriptions? It's more just that people say these things without thinking about what they mean and they actually don't mean anything. And gotcha. they just they just litter their everyday speak so much that it's now permeated into emails or actual written communications in an office environment where people just talk about stuff that you could take out a third of an email to distill it down to actually what people are talking about because it's full of bullshit like rolling out and touching base and cross-checking. Do you know what I mean? I reckon that most of these descriptions come from a place where the intention is right, but then the intention's lost over time. Like you say, 100%, people then just use it without consideration. But I think the origins are probably with good intentions. Here's an example. Let's say someone emails you a request and you want to confirm that detail in the process. Yep. So you don't want to say, I want to verify that with someone else or double check or confirm because that sounds a bit too hostile or distrustful. Yep. So you might choose a phrase that takes away a sense of distrust or being patronising to that email sender. So you choose something like, oh, let me just touch base with so-and-so or run it past them, which is trying to take out the doubt of their opinion or- See, run it past them, I think, is much more acceptable for some reason. I don't know. Touch base just really rubs me up the wrong way. Run it past them doesn't make much more sense, but I find it less offensive. Okay, so here's an example. If I felt fearful that the person I'm dealing with would feel distrusted and I'm trying to satisfy them so they don't feel that they're emasculated or some other particular sentiment where they feel like they're belittled. Rather than saying, I want to run it past them or touch base, I might say, let me check in, <laughs> which is basically- Yeah, check in's check better. Okay. But I think check in is probably that same category of touch base and reach out where- To me, that's corporate speak, but it's trying to choose a phrase without edge or judgment or betrayal or distrust to say, I need to go and do something with someone else which relates to this and I'll be back in touch with you. Excuse the pun. Reach out always makes me feel like you're going to ask someone, but they might not be able to help you. I think you're totally right. Reach out to me is basically saying someone's over there. Yeah, metaphorically, they might not be. I'm going to extend an arm or a hand. They might have their out of office on, and they might actually know nothing about what I'm going to ask them. But I'll reach out to them, and um, I'll come back to you. So why don't you just contact them? And if they don't help, if they can't help, if they're not available, contact someone else. Like 
The reaching out, it always just sounds very half-assed. It always just sounds like- Ah, oh, that's the intention though. I think you're spot on though. Yeah. I think your observation of that is entirely what's intended. So, I've used reach out to say, I'll reach out to someone, but it's a one-sided action. There's no guarantee that they will reach back to me. Yeah. But what you're basically doing is giving comfort to the other person to say, hey, if you're feeling unsure about this, I'll reach out to party C. And HR. it's basically saying- I'll make the gesture of contacting them, but I won't pursue them responding. Yeah. And I think it is that sort of, I'm not promising too much kind of. Totally. Which I think also is kind of infuriating because it's like, why even bother? Oh, I think that's a fair enough complaint. Your complaint basically is a lot of this corporate speak is half-assed without commitment. Yep. And by saying, reach out, touch base, all these token gestures of, well, I guess that's it. They're token gestures. They're basically saying, I will, from one side, hit the tennis ball, but I'll then walk away from the tennis court and won't actually pursue if the person sees the ball, hits the ball back to me, and I actually then engage with them. I just hit the ball and walk off court. My work's done. I've sent the email. I don't care what the response is because I've sent the email. So it's almost like you're not actually frustrated with the corporate speak as such. It's what's why behind, it's used. Why it's used, what's behind it, and the motivations of someone. I think there's that, but I also think there is a lot of people, there is a level of it, which is people who are just, they just litter their vernacular with this shit that they don't actually understand. One, where it comes from. Two, why they use it. And it has a tendency to be construed as, like we've discussed, this sort of slightly negative way of conducting yourself. I don't know. So what happens next? If you were a CEO tomorrow of a company and there's an opportunity for you to lead the way that people do or don't speak in their verbal or written communications, what would you lay down as the law of your company? <laughs> would you basically say, and let me set this up with a bit of preamble here, Elon Musk put out an infamous or famous email at some point, it was SpaceX, where basically he said, right, I'm ending all acronyms because if an acronym, like some acronyms being used required three or four letters, thus three or four ways of expressing the same thing, he'd said, an example was that he'd say, all right, I don't want you to refer to the upright launching pad, the ULP. There's no downward launching pad because all launches go up. Just call it the pad. Yeah, right. There's no other launch I like pad. That. I like that. So yeah, yeah. don't call it the ULP. Just call it the pad. That's like cross-check. Yeah. You're just checking. You're not cross-checking. Cross-checking is what cabin crews do. I don't know anyone else who cross-checks. So here's an example. Or has a need to cross-check. Okay. So where I've worked in the past, one organization had an acronym which was used for an expression where people talked about too many acronyms. The phrase was excessive usage of acronyms at, insert company name, and they would refer to an acronym of that. Trying to be kind of really too clever, too witty, but it was like, yeah, but you know what? You're just propagating the problem. Yeah, exactly. I like Elon's idea, the pad. I like that. Yeah, exactly. So what happens next? If you were a CEO tomorrow, would you just outlaw all unnecessary acronyms and try and essentially say, speak plain English, don't overcomplicate things, don't be too clever by half. And also just avoid unnecessary email communications about shit. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's where this is all coming from, but it's just the- Where do you stand on you get something from someone that requires no further action from you, it requires no response from you, 
they're basically returning something to you or they're giving something to you which is a requirement of the job for you to be given something at the end of something, at the end of a transaction or something. Does that always require a thanks? So are you referring to email or verbal tying a uh, knot, a bow yep. on a communication yep. to say, I acknowledge this. Thanks for that. Here you go. Does that require you then to go, thank you, kind regards? I used to try and tie a bow on every conversation to have the last word to avoid misunderstanding or confusion as to that being the end of the conversation. But then you meet a never stop conversation goer and they always want to be the person that ties a bow on the end of every conversation. So now basically they say thanks. That to me is the end of the conversation because the assumptions made that they've closed it at their end. And so I'm happy with that. So yeah. I don't try and double down on my thanks, thanks, thanks yeah. to try and finish it. Yeah. Now, if they just do a what I'd call a perfunctory chore and check in, <laughs> excuse the usage of check in, to say, done this, I would probably say thanks. And the reason why is I don't think that every single thing that someone does, which is a core responsibility, either in their private life or in a job, or in a hobby or a sport requires a thanks. But my experience is that people are often so desperate for praise that I will then just liberally, like I'm Robert De Niro and Goodfellas, just peel away the thanks like a bundle of $100 notes because they need the thanks more than I'm resentful of handing the thanks out. Yeah, and, you know, you like a bit of Santa Claus around the office, sprinkle a bit of cheer, give people a bit of a pat on the back through the email system. Don't always think that's necessary. I just think that some people require praise disproportionately more than others, so it's worth dispensing. And would you say something along the lines of, Thanks for that, Johnny. Really appreciate you getting onto that so quickly. You know, makes my job so much easier, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, I wouldn't lay on that thick. I'm more of the school of somewhere halfway in between. I'd say, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. That's good. I wouldn't I like even that. say, I really appreciate would it. Would you say I'd to the IT say, guy who restarts your computer for you? So what I'd do there is rather than like lay it on thick with a thanks, I'd probably like wish him a great day or something and say, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Hope I'm the only tough job you have today. Yep, yep, yep. Because then that's sincere. I don't want him to have like 15 jobs like mine in a day, but I figure if he understands that I understand the challenges he has, then just by saying thanks. It's kind of like when you catch an Uber. It's basically my attitude is if you can momentarily, both sincerely and strategically, it's both. It's sincere, but it's also strategic for your five-star rating. Just say, look, you're working till four in the morning. I'll be sound asleep. So if I can just say, thanks, mate, great trip, and I hope you get plenty of good fares tonight. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, I, I figure that That's way- That's how you maintain that five-star rating, is it? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a high star is rating. That a, is that all it's So what happens next if you're catching- I've got 4.87 in case you're wondering. Oh, that's very high. What happens next, I think, if you're catching Ubers or dealing with people in the workplace or service providers that provide your mortgage or your bank or whatever? My theory basically is if you just- You don't have to kill people with kindness, but if you just basically say, thanks for work that you have done up until this point. And from this point onwards- in the rest of your day without me, have a great day, take care, you know, hope it's a great day ahead. Something more than a generic response, something slightly tailored. Then I think you're basically thanking them for the work they've done 
and then wishing them best for what's ahead is how I look at it. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. There's not not a lot more than you can do than that. I'm not going to like ask them about their kid's next birthday party or wish them the best for a weekend in four days. That's a bit weird and uncomfortable. I like that. I just yeah, you don't you don't you don't say to people on a Tuesday, oh mate, I really hope you had a great weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that always feels weird. Like then they then they think, well, why are you asking me on Tuesday, not Monday? Then you feel like you're the asshole who has been chilling out on Monday, or you didn't ask them on Monday, so you turn a positive to a negative. That's my worst situation. Yeah, where you're trying to do something right for someone and it comes across badly that you did the right thing you thought, but they see the negative inflection. But, you know, I don't know. It depends on the recipient to your correspondence. Like someone emailing you who's a work colleague is very different to say, you know, a bank sending you the annoying promotional email for the week. Oh, don't get me started on that, Benny. What's that? I spent my whole life unsubscribing from mailing lists that I don't remember signing up to. So what happens next with a world in which we are totally barraged with promotional emails for things we can't even recall signing up for. I was at a hotel on the weekend and we had to fill out a form. My beloved signed it. She didn't date it. And I said, would you like me to put the date in for you and for her? And I said, do you want to be their promotional email? She said, no. I said, well, you need to tick that box. So we ticked the box. So it's always generally, it's an opt-out as opposed to a an opt-in. And if you don't tick the box and you don't read the form properly, they have a license to send you shit and they have to give you an unsubscribe option under the Spam Act, I think it is. But like you say, it's opt-in to yeah. unsubscribe. Yeah. To but- the assumption being we won't contact you unless you elect to be contactable. You get the email saying, got this great rate. Are you interested? Let us know. That's fairly harmless for a while. But when you're getting one a week and then you're getting that from 50 other entities trying to tout for your business, it's quite therapeutic when you start unsubscribing. Well, the iPhone makes it easier these days. Have you noticed when you look at an email in your inbox, they actually provide an option above to unsubscribe? So what it must do is it must read in your email using AI the little footer at the bottom, which says click here to unsubscribe. It takes that, places it at the top of your email. I'll show it to you one time. That must be on the new iPhone. I don't get that. No, no. It'd be on your, I'll show it to you on your email. So oh. what happens is it basically makes it easy at the forefront of your mind, at the top of the email before it says your name to unsubscribe. Because normally the unsubscribe font is, is such small, you can barely click on the link. So it takes that and promotes it to the top, which is fantastic. So basically it's giving you, it's actually encouraging you to unsubscribe. And if it is pure penile enhancement spam, Oh, you don't unsubscribe to those. You don't unsubscribe to. Click through to those bad boys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does it come up with uh, order here? That's solid medical advice that you'd be a fool to unsubscribe from. That's like, yeah, you want to like click those emails and compare them. That's gold. Absolutely. But I've got to say, there is a very smug satisfaction I have, like a machine gun, as these emails come in. Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe unsubscribe. Yeah, because a lot of it is you bought one thing one time or you inquired about one hotel, didn't actually go through with the booking or something happened. You just happened to be browsing, but in order to click through to see photos of something to see what you're actually going to buy, you had to to click 
a box that got you access and then before you knew it, you were getting an email a week from this place. But last year, Benny, I think we might have talked about this before, where, where I sort of consciously didn't buy anything that wasn't sort of food or utilities or something. Oh, so unsubscribing from the emails was part and parcel of not being tempted by yeah. promotional offers and so It was on. more sort of – it was a ban on both online shopping as well as sort of personal clothes shopping or sports shopping and that sort of stuff. So was that like a personal challenge you set yourself, like a New Year's Day resolution? Or yeah. What, was the, what was the catalyst? It was kind of like that. I think I read an article, which is one of those bullshit articles that come oh, out like around- Buzzfeed, like I didn't buy anything for a year. And look how much money I saved kind of things or something like that. I was like, and I think that sort of coincided with me taking another load of clothes to the Salvation Army op shop and just thinking when I did one of my culls where you just go, when was the last time you wore that shirt? You know, was it more than two years ago? And I think we've talked about this before with your minimalist pledge, but that was very satisfying. For a 12-month period, I sold a few items of clothing on eBay and in return, I treated myself to a few items of clothing on eBay and that was it for a 12-month period. So once you reached the end of the 12 months, why did you return to buying things? What changed? Like after that satisfying period where you thought, oh, this is great, was it like- That's um, a good question. I think I talked myself into thinking that because I had gone through 12 months- Oh, you'd earned it. I'd, one, I'd earned it, but also my clothes were getting run down. So like my everyday clothes were getting run down. My undies had holes in them. My shoes needed repairing. So natural attrition. Yeah. I honestly think that was probably the start of it. And then that sort of opened the floodgates. It was like one cigarette led to half a dozen or one drink led to a six-pack kind of thing. I think I could quite easily do it again. In fact, maybe next year. Yeah. So I've been doing this for a year now where I've been wearing the same clothes combination. Last six months, over the same clothes combination of the same shirt-trouser combination in the week so that like Obama, because I'm very similar to Obama, I'm minimizing my decisions. I go, right, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is this, this, this. And then I know that I need to have those clothes washed and ready. And the creative side of me hates it because it fights against all of my beliefs about each day being fresh and you an opportunity and whatever. But the positive side, I've gone, you know what? It just makes life simple. And I've noticed then I only wear, you know, like 10% of my wardrobe. My greatest fear is that the clothes of my wardrobe, I've thrown out a lot of stuff. But I still, I just can't quite pull the trigger on throwing other stuff out. So tonight you're wearing a very fetching combination of Birkenstock sandals in a black leather with black, I'd say, sort of chino Black pants. chinos, yep. Black chinos from perhaps Uniqlo or- um, ASOS. ASOS. And then a, a green bicycle motif T-shirt yep. from- What's that famous online T-shirt? Oh, we've talked about that before. Threadless. Threadless. And we've seen this combination- so These are all mainstream brands, very accessible. Birkenstocks, ASOS. But when you, when you say you wear this combination on a Wednesday, do you actually wear that T-shirt? No. Pants? So what I've discovered in recent years is that you can get away with wearing the same- pair of trousers and shoes almost every day in theory and by just simply changing your shirt to same belt same trousers same color socks if you want same shoes what if they're all sweaty and gross the same color not same item. oh okay right right. and then just change your shirt so in australia there's that famous slash infamous journalist presenter carl stefanovic on a morning show called The Today Show, same as the US Today Show. And what totally threw me and stunned, I think, all of Australia is that he revealed he wore the same suit, not the same colour suit, but the same suit 
every day for a year. That to me blows my mind. Which, wa- which has been the same. Which a few people have called bullshit on, but I think it's a good argument. Is it true? A few people have said it, but I don't know, I don't know if anyone's actually gone back and Because unless you wear a dark charcoal suit, I think it was a royal blue suit. So it wasn't like a suit that was a really neutral plain colour. I think it was a royal blue suit. Now, maybe with the colour hues of TV and the variety of ties and shirts, somehow that combination made it less visible that he wore the same suit every day for a year. And he would be on air in that suit from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock every morning, probably at least half an hour either side, probably more like an hour either side. He's got it on. He's sitting down. I'm guessing at 10 o'clock he could take it off and they could then go away and press it. To dry yeah, they clean. Could even, they could even same day dry clean it, ready for the next day. I reckon you'd dry clean it every second day. I think you'd have to. Yeah. It'd just look like shit. It depends on how much he perspires on those hot lights. I think and he's ja- pretty fat, so the jacket's he would fine. perspire a bit. The jacket would be fine. The trousers around the behind the knees and the- That's where you get those creatures that you just can't- But he's can't also- You're not, you're not seeing out. his legs. Yeah. So, conceivably, he'd almost be doing it in underpants. Thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. So, I mean, look, my uh, family moved house recently and my beloved was saying that their wardrobe is bigger than ours. They barely fill it at all because they, without even using the words minimalist, they naturally are minimalists. Who's this? So, my sister and my brother-in-law. Oh, they're minimalists. But not like in a way yelling from the treetops and not running a blog or Instagram. They just naturally are. Subconsciously. Subliminally minimalist. So they have a lot of blacks and dark hues. They have very simple non-patterned clothes, which then means you can color coordinate. or Repeatable. Yeah, wash and repeat. I was at the zoo on the weekend. Oh, yeah? And I observed the hyenas up close and personal. Are they known as being the African mammal minimalists? One thing they're known for is being able to run extremely long distances. Like like in that lumbering style running. Yes, that lumbering style. And I watched them lumber around their enclosure. I wouldn't have thought that lumbering gait is well designed for the marathon. Watching it up close and with a discerning eye. Oh, I've always struck you as being one with a certain expertise in animal gait. It looks like a very repeatable action and one which is repeatable but with minimal effort. Like the Peter Senior of putting in golf. It's almost like- Very consistent. With the slopey back of the hyena, they're actually sort of in a natural forward lean, which without doing anything is propelling them forward. The lumbering sort of gait is almost like a barefoot runner that runs in that sort of forward 25 degree tilt. Ah. So all they need to do is stick a foot out and, and they're moving forward. Do you know what I mean? So Anthony Robbins or any self-help promoter would advocate that we need to all adjust our personality, our perspective, our physicality to the hyena where we are leaning forward. We make life a lean-in experience. It's very easy to sort of run forward as a hyena, I think. So if one could actually be like a, a hyena, what happens next is that if we were HR consultants and charge $10,000 per hour, we could call it the hashtag hyena way. We encourage workplace colleagues to hunch their backs over and lean forward. We could roll out. Genius. Roll out a hyena platform. We could basically ignore all of the years where chiropractors are advocating for strong body core strength and shoulders back and a high posture with a chair or a Swiss ball that encourages a straight back. We call it the hashtag hyena way. The hyena hunch. It's like the lean-in experience, right? They call TV the lean-back experience. Cinema is the lean-back experience. 
the hyena way is like the mobile phone thing. You lean forward. Yeah, you hunch. You engage. And every good hyena employee is a great employee. They're highly engaged. Actually moving forward. Genius. Now, before we go tonight, I want to run past a new segment. It's called What Makes Us Cranky? I'm going to tell you a story very quickly. And in two minutes, you need to solve my story with a positive perspective and give me the harsh uh, half ass, half glass. The glass is half full perspective of my problem. Are you ready? Okay. All right. So maybe we could call this micro segment, What Makes Me Cranky Next? I like it. All right. So this gives me the shits. I can't understand when people drive two tons of metal around cars and they hang all this dangly shit from their rear vision mirror so they can barely see the road. Oh, like uh, Christian symbols, fluffy dice, photos Those- of their kids. Those smelly pine tree things. That trolls. Trolls. I don't get it. Like, there's two things that bug me. One, the size of the item in the first place, possibly obscuring the view of a pedestrian, a pram, or a bike as you're driving along. Two, the fact that like a pendulum that's swinging across, both increasing the lack of visibility and distracting them. That would be, yeah. Oh, Benny, you, you're really starting to get me rolled up now. But your job is to try and give me the glasses half full. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying real hard. I'm trying real hard. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm like Jules in the in the diner. Is there any positive perspective on all that dangling shit, which is basically a fucking Christmas tree hanging by vital perspective? Imagine if a pilot dangled like, you know, Christmas decorations from the middle of the cockpit. Unacceptable. Oh, half a dozen pairs of wooden beads. Exactly. With a big gold cross and- I don't get it. Photo of the Virgin Mary or something. Are they so insecure about something in their lives that they need to have it within their peripheral vision? I remember that it used to be people actually say, oh, no, it's a it's a thing. Like, you do it because it stops you from getting drowsy. No, that's terrible. It's actually like a safety- It's actually a safety feature. Anything that I think- Homemade part- sort of safety feature. No, anything that's part of your life routinely, once it becomes routine, you see through it. It's like saying a Mercedes insignia on the end of a bonnet is distracting or somehow alerts your attention because it's something sticking up from the bonnet. I'm pretty (laughs) sure Mercedes drivers aren't more aware of the road because they're aware of their Mercedes insignia sticking up from the front of the bonnet than a BMW or Audi driver. So give me the half glass full. Tell me what benefit is there possibly in having- That's what I just did. One kilo of shit. Oh, have you, is that it? <laughs> oh, right. Okay. That's all I've got. I don't like it. Never have. I actually don't like a lot of stuff in cars. I like a clean car. I like to take stuff out of the car. Like your email inbox or your wardrobe? Yes, I Minimalist? Do. Yeah. Inbox, inbox has to be empty. Otherwise, it makes me stressed. Yeah, I feel the same way about cars and toilets. Stuff in cars no makes me stressed. No paraphernalia. Yeah. Just keep it business only. Yeah. Pooing? Or driving. The only time it's acceptable to have a lot of crap in your car is if you're on a road trip and then once you get to your destination, you're out of there. Totally. Yep. Yeah. You clean, don't clean that shit up. You don't pull in to, with your um you know, your yacht to the Caribbean and just hang out on the yacht and like fill more stuff. You clear it out, get yes. rid of the old get rid of all the c- rubbish. The coke remnants and hookers. <laughs> the corona the corona bottles. Exactly. I, I I didn't say that, Benny, you said that. Oh man. All right. On that high note, mate, I think we'll call it a night. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Patreon, and Twitter as username Ben Phelps. Mate, it's been a pleasure as always. Until next time. Pleasure's all mine. It sure is. (laughs) Peace out, mate. See ya.